Um, hello to you all. I'm Chetan Bhatt. I'm uh, Director of the Center for the Study of Human Rights at the LSE. And I'd like to welcome you to this important event on seeking justice for crimes against humanity, uh, the case of Argentina. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, this event is hosted by the Center for the Study of Human Rights at the LSE in partnership with the Argentine Embassy. And the theme of this uh, evening represents an area of considerable interest uh, to those concerned about human rights because, of this, because the situation in Argentina during the military period uh, from 1976 to 83 was an extremely grave one. And the struggles for justice have continued for some 20, 25 years. There was a process of massive and systematic violations of human rights under the dictatorship and during what is referred to as the dirty war and the broader geopolitical context within which that occurred. And human rights uh, organizations regularly reported the deaths and abductions and disappearances of um, between 12 to 30,000 people. And indeed the word disappearance and the disappeared, those words have entered our vocabulary to name a certain kind of horror and we know about the movements of the mothers seeking information and justice regarding their missing relatives and uh, abducted or, uh, or killed children became such a powerful international symbol for human rights. Now the long and path-breaking struggle for justice and human rights is something that refuses to go away and is something where there have been persistent social movements for justice and for redress. And in the period from 1983 and the return of democratic governments, a series of official and legal developments took place, including uh, a non-judicial commission to investigate the disappearance of persons, criminal trials against members of the uh, military hunters, the enactment of pardons and limitation laws, what are often referred to as the amnesties uh, or the amnesty laws. And then there were other laws uh, declaring these to be invalid and there were various other activities including complex, high-profile legal trials. And I'm mentioning those because in an important sense the situation in Argentina also represented an important traffic in ideas and expertise within the human rights and legal community that informed human rights work and legal strategies elsewhere. And aside from much of the path-breaking work and the precedent set in Argentina, the situation of Argentina also raises wider questions about the relationship between justice and peace, between what is called amnesty and impunity, but also about how states and societies come to terms with their past. I'm therefore honored and delighted to be able to introduce to you one of the key figures in the legal battle for upholding human rights and justice in Argentina and for bringing to trial and prosecuting many of those alleged to have been involved in the gravest of crimes during the period of military dictatorship. Judge Sergio Gabriel Torres is a federal judge in criminal and correctional matters in Buenos Aires. He presides over the extremely important ESMA case and its trials, or mega-trials. And uh, this involves more than 800 cases of illegal detentions, torture, disappearances, and deaths committed at the Navy School of Mechanics, where one of the largest clandestine detention centers operated 
during the 1976-83 military dictatorship. Graduated from the University of Buenos Aires, the judge has specialized in criminal law and criminology. He holds an international master's degree on new criminal offenses and a PhD in juridical sciences. He's a professor on criminal law at the University of Buenos Aires and the University of uh, Lomas de Zamora. He's also a visiting or an honorary professor at several universities in Argentina, Spain, and Mexico. He's the director of postgraduate studies on criminal law and criminology and of the international master's degree on new criminal offenses at the University of Salvador in Argentina and the Complutense University in Madrid. He's the academic vice president for Argentina at the Ibero-American Criminal Law Institute, which is headquartered in Mexico. And Judge Torres is also a member of numerous academic committees on public and private institutions. And he's lectured and published widely in uh, the Americas and Europe in numerous countries. He's a former federal prosecutor and judge of criminal investigation. And he's also participated as a juror in the appointment of federal judges. Now his presentation this evening on seeking justice uh, for crimes against humanity in Argentina will be followed uh, with time for your questions. But may I ask you to extend your welcome to Judge Sergio Torres. Thank you, Professor Bat, for your kind introduction. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm very happy to be here with you today. First of all, I would like to thank you for the invitation to speak at this university, one of the most prestigious and renowned in Europe and the world. I would like to thank you, the LSD, Center for Study of Human Rights, for hosting the event. I would like to express special thanks to the Argentine Embassy for the organization and support in this visit. I would also like to thank you for being here because, as I always say, you probably have better things to do in this beautiful city. Regardless of this, you are here to listen to my talk on human rights in a distant country, Argentina which means a lot to me. Finally, I apologize for my English. It isn't easy for me. You know, you are listening to me. <laughs> uh, I can only guarantee that I have done and will do my best to make this presentation. Once again, thank you very much. Mass violations of human rights have occurred over the centuries as, as we know, the, through the course of history, no consensus has ever been reached on how to deal with them. Different methods have been employed. International courts, ordinary trials, extrajudicial action, general amnesties, private revenge, or simply consigning them to oblivion. History shows that dealing with mass human rights violations is more difficult, more difficult than dealing with ordinary crimes, even when those responsible for those crimes has lost 
Power and Influence, a description of what had happened in Argentina from 1983 to the present, Yuli useful. Memory and justice as are more important than oblivion and impunity in building a society. We will talk about the permanent conflict between these concepts. As someone once said, a person is more likely to be tried for having killed one human being than 100,000. We will examine how much truth there is in this affirmation. We can use the 20th century as the prime example in the analysis of this problem. In the first decade, the Armenian genocide with one and a half million victims. In the fourth decade, the Holocaust with more than six million victims. At the Tutsi genocide in the last decade, with more than one million victims, may be a symbolic farewell before starting a new century and millennium. We can also add the regime of the colonels in Greece, 300,000 victims in Spain during and after the Civil War, and what happened in the ex-Yugoslavia, the thousands of victims in the Stasi in East Germany, in Asia, the abuses in Cambodia by the Khmer Rouge, and the mass human rights violations in the Philippines under Ferdinand Marcos. What happened in Africa, both in Chad, with more than 40,000 documented homicides, the aforementioned case of Rwanda, and the events in Ethiopia with the Derge movement. If to all this we add what happened in the Americas, particularly in the 70s, it is easy to understand why, why the 20th century has been described the century of war of the century of death. Let's look at what happened in Argentina. Argentina was established as a republic in 1853 when the national constitution was sanctioned. A period, a period of institutional stability began with the normal ups and downs of the birth of any nation. But in 1930, that peace was shattered by the military coup against President Hippolyte Yrigoyen. This gave, this gave rise a period of political instability marked by numerous military uprisings. The wars was the military coup of March 24, 1976, after which the armed forces governed until December 10, 1983. This, the event I am talking about today took place during that period. Those began the darkest period in Argentine history. Homicides, kidnappings, tortures, disappearances, the theft of possessions, the abduction of children, exiles, threats, and rapes. Among the victims, of this repression can be found workers, students, intellectuals, professionals, priests, the young, the old, men, women, children, in short, anyone. Thousands of victims 
were held in at least 340 clandestine detention centers. Let us think for a moment. When somebody wants to steal from us, kidnap, rape, torture, or kill us, we turn to the state for help, to its law enforcement agencies, the police, to provide us with protection before the event, or to its legal system, judges, courts, and prosecutors, for justice after, given that the state has the monopoly of the security forces. But let's ask ourselves, what do we do when it is the state that steals, kidnaps, rapes, or kills? Where do we hide? Where do we go to? Who protects us? As I have said, all this went on until December 10, 1983, not by mere coincidence, International Human Rights Day, when the democratic government of Raul Alfonsin was sworn in, and with it, the full recognition of and respect for the human rights came into effect in my country. Let's look briefly at the most important milestone concerning human rights in Argentina. The first act of the democratic government was to pass a law which declared unconstitutional and void the auto-amnesty law enacted 90 days before the end of the military government. A presidential decree was signed on December 13, 1983, by which the members of the three, the first three juntas of commander-in-chief of the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy were prosecuted before the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces. On December 15, another decree was issued by which CONADEP, National Commission into the Disappearance of Persons, was set up. We will come back to this later. In 1985, the Federal Court of the Capital Federal tried and sentenced five commanders to prison terms through a public oral trial. This, is, this was sorry, unprecedented in Argentina for two reasons. It was the first time that military commanders have had to answer for their actions before a court of law. And secondly, the proceedings were conducted orally. In Argentina, at that time, all trials were written. We should add that only a selection of cases was presented at this trial, leaving many others still to be prosecuted. However, increasing pressure from the armed forces forced the government of Alfonsín to pass two new laws in 1986 and 87, the due obedience and full stop laws. This effectively meant the end of all the proceedings against members of the security forces initiated until that moment. Only the sentences mentioned above remained in effect. But in 1990, Carlos Menem exercised his presidential powers to grant a pardon to all those who had been convicted of or, or charged with violation of human rights. It is important to mention that at the time, there was much debate 
as in Argentine law, pardons can only be granted to those convicted and not to those awaiting trial. Nevertheless, this pardon was upheld by the Supreme Court of the time. It appears that impunity has won the day. Against this background, the Argentine Constitution was amended in 1994 and Section 75, Subsection 22 was added, ex which expressly recognized the constitutionally binding nature of all international treaties of, on human rights. Since the reform, we have been part of a supranational order to extend that the Supreme Court has recognized that Inter-American Commission on Human Rights jurisprudence must be followed by every national judge. In 2003, two new laws were passed. The first conferred constitutional status on the Convention on the Non-Applicability of Statutory Limitation to War Crimes and Crimes Against Humanity, adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 1968. The second repealed that impunity law, laws of 1986 and 87, declaring them irrevocably null and void. This allowed the reopening of the so-called mega cases, leading to further investigation into forced disappearances and related crimes. Finally, in 2004, the Supreme Court ruled that statutory limitations do not apply to crimes against humanity. Justice progresses detentions, prosecutions, and trials. Nowadays, there are cases pending in Buenos Aires and several provinces. Let's look at some of them briefly. The situation in Buenos Aires. In the city of Buenos Aires, after 2003, two mega cases were reopened. One is the Naval Mechanics School, ESMA case, and the other is known as the First Army Corps. I will briefly focus on the results of the investigation into the ESMA case as it has much in common with other cases. In the ESMA case, events that took place in the ESMA between 1976 and 83 were investigated. This include kidnappings, illegal imprisonment, torture, abduction of children, sale of goods belonging to the Chinese, and slave labor. 904 victims have come forward so far. 77 people have been arrested. 32 defendants have been charged in with over 904 crimes. To have an idea of the size of the investigation, just consider that as of this moment, the case file has more than 200,000 pages, more than 208,000 photocopies have been made for the 23 lawyers, 112 victims, and 77 defendants. As this case has victims from 22 countries, 22 countries, more than, 
more than 22 letters rogatory has been issued. There have been also been four extraditions to Argentina. The uh, Desma case has other parallel investigations. The first is the theft of the Chinese goods. The investigation also deals with the theft of the possessions of the detainees or disappeared people and their relatives. The military personnel or police usually forced the detainee and their relatives to sign over their homes or vehicles under threat of making the detainees situation worse. Six defendants have been remanded to oral proceedings for 11 crimes. The second is the death flights. The so-called death flights were a method of murder and disposal of the bodies of the Chinese. The victims were taken aboard fixed-wing aircraft or helicopters and were thrown into the River Plate or the Atlantic Ocean. According to the testimony of other detainees, victims were first dragged and then their weighted bodies were dropped into the sea. There are also cases for other crimes, such as cases of the abduction of children. There are also hundreds of cases of child abduction, mainly children born in captivity. In this matter, there have been convictions for the crimes of retention and concealment of children previously abducted, together with the crime of the illegal deprivation of civil rights by means of the forgery of public document, that is to say, birth certificates. Operation Condor. Finally, I will mention briefly the investigation of an alliance to commit illegal acts such as the enforced disappearance of person known as Operation Condor. The association was made up the countries of Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, Paraguay, and Chile. The illegal imprisonment of citizens in line with the aims of Plan Condor in which the security forces of more than two countries participated is still under investigation. 113 illegal imprisonment on foreign nationals have been proved. 30 persons have been charged and 15 are awaiting oral trials. The situation in the provinces. As we have said, there are many ongoing investigations in different provinces of the country. There are 779 defendants. At this moment, 13 trials for crimes against humanity are underway. Finally, 110 people in total have been convicted so far in Argentina. There is no doubt that neither criminal laws, procedural laws, judges, prosecutors, lawyers, the judicial system, the media, nor society as a whole was ready to deal with what had occurred. Let's look now at some of the problems Argentina faced and how we tackled them. The creation of the CONADEP. The National Commission on the Disappearance of Persons, CONADEP, 
was set up in 1993 to carry out investigation into the event that occurred between 1976 and 83. Its president was the writer Ernesto Sabato. It received assistance and cooperation from the United Nations, the Organization of the American States, and various countries which sent experts who helped, for instance, to identify bodies. It inspected 340 clandestine detention centers. More than 1,400 people gave evidence to CONADEP in 15 provinces, providing countless testimonies which would be given in evidence at the trials that would follow. The CONADEP also had permanent offices in several embassies. The grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo helped to create a database at Duran Hospital to enable the identification and restitution of the children born in captivity who had been illegally adopted. So far, 102 children have been identified. The CONADEP report was, was published as a book with the title Nunca Más, Never Again, with an appendix containing the names of all the disappeared people. This book became a bestseller and has been translated into several languages. Despite passing the due obedience law and full stop law, it was felt that the victims and their relatives had a right to know the truth about what had happened. That is why the truth hearings, similar to the South African experience, were held in several federal courts of appeals in my country. One of, of their characteristics is that the parties testified without any legal consequences. No testimony was given under oath, and therefore they bore no criminal liability. The participants could not be obliged to incriminate themselves in their testimony, but they did have to appear before the court. One of the problems facing courts in trial for violation of human rights is the question on how to apportion responsibility. There are two theories propounded by German jurists. In one, the material author of the crime is held responsible. In the other, those who use the state apparatus of power are held to be the authors of the crime, despite not participating directly in its commission. In practice, this made no difference in Argentina, as the Argentine Criminal Code punishes equally perpetrators, accomplices, willing participants, and instigators. Since the beginning of the trials in Argentina, there have been a number of extradition requests for different military personnel to stand trial in other countries, either under international law or because of the victims' nationalities. Spain, Sweden, Italy, and Germany are just some of the countries that have requested extraditions. Normally, the courts detain the person, and after formal identification, the cases are sent to the executive, which decides whether or not to grant extradition. For instance, the case of Alfredo Astiz in December 2001. For those who are, who are interested, 
I can explain this case or, or any other at the end of the talk. In my court, I rejected a decision upheld by the Supreme Court, the German extradition request for Jorge Videla and Emilio Macera, as they were being tried in Argentina and they had already been convicted on some counts. In the Argentine legal system, the insured party victims of crimes can participate directly in the trials. That is to say, they employ lawyers who sit alongside the state prosecutor and have the right to examine evidence, question witnesses, and possibly request sentence. In some cases, private prosecutors were any person who could prove direct interest. This caused problems as the number ran into the hundreds. In the ESMA case, for instance, another parameter was followed as the private prosecutors were organizations such as Abuelas de Plaza de Mayo, Asociación Permanente por los Derechos Humanos, Asociación de Detenidos Desaparecidos, Centro de Estudios Legales y Sociales, not only in the role of representing individuals, but also representing the association itself, itself as participants in the struggle for human rights based on their links with the victims. For instance, in the French nuns case, some of the disappeared were, were the founders of Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo. Preservation orders have, have been issued on the ESMA and other places belonging to the Navy or the Army or that are suspected of having held detainees or disappeared people whose bodies are buried there with the aim of either preserving the scene of the crime or converting the premises into memorials in the future. Civil redress. In recognition of the responsibility of the state, the federal government ordered the payment of damages to, to the victims of the illegal repression. Amicus curiae. The figure of amicus curiae was permitted in this investigation. As amicus curiae is someone not a party to a case who volunteers to offer information to assist a court in deciding matter before it. As some unidentified bodies were found, an office of forensic anthropologist was set up. These were in charge of determining the identification of bodies, cause of death, and any other information to demonstrate whether it belonged to a disappeared person or not. This team was also in charge of identifying the remains of Ernesto Che Guevara in Bolivia a few years ago. In all these investigations, there have been important exchanges of information and cooperation between Argentina and other countries, for example, Spain, France, and Holland. Cooperation was essential in the trial of the naval officer Adolfo Silingo, whereby Argentine witnesses could not travel to Madrid to testify, gave video evidence. Conclusions. This, this, was, this has been a brief review of the event which occurred in my country with some of my personal and professional experiences. 
clearly we have not been able to cover all aspects of the cases. I also apologize since the time has been short and your patience long. As we have already mentioned, there have been many problems all over the world in bringing those responsible for crimes and inhumanity to justice. Everybody agrees of the seriousness of the crimes and most of us agree that the perpetrators should be tried and punished. As we have already seen, the legal precedents are not numerous either in quantity or in quality. I wish countries were are persistent in defending human rights as our state in violating them. That is why we must value the effort made by Argentine judges who, when the law allowed it, arrest and tried those responsible for, those, for these crimes and continue to do so. A lot has been done, but what is done is always too little in the field of human rights. The most important thing is that all the experiences learned from the trials in Argentina should teach us a lesson which at the same time should also be a mission. Human rights should not be just part of a political agenda and therefore subservient to electoral, circumstantial or personal necessities or interests. They should form part of permanent national policy, whatever the government. They are now negotiable. Dedication, effort and suffering of so many people should not be in vain. In the meantime, we will continue to work as we have been doing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed for a, um, a powerful and inspiring lecture, and indeed one that um, invokes a vision and a mission as well for human rights, uh, both in legal and in campaigning senses. We have plenty of time for questions, and I know there are several members of the audience who are very keen to uh, raise issues. And for this part of the session, we're going to be joined by Veronica Munoz, who will be assisting in translating your questions for uh, Judge Torres. And I know uh, many people have questions and, and uh, comments uh, for Judge Torres. So I will take questions in groups of three. If you have thoughts and comments in addition to questions, can I please request that these be relatively brief or at least uh, assist in furthering this, the discussion? And also you'll see uh, at the sides uh, our wonderful stewards, and they will come to you if you raise your hand, uh, and they will come to you with a microphone, and they will put the microphone in front of front of you. So please wait um, until they're with you so that your question can be heard by the rest of the audience. And I know this can cause a short delay, but I would ask you to be patient. Uh, and also, when you do ask your question, can I request you state your name and your institutional or organizational affiliation, please? Thank you. I see a hand just there in the middle. And if the next person also uh, could put up their hand, then I can... Hello, my name is Paula Lombardi. I did 
did my thesis ages ago at the European University Institute in Florence. And my question is, uh, as, a, as an Argentinian judge, what's your uh, opinion about, or about the um, uh, Juez Baltasar Garzón and uh, his efforts in terms of universal jurisdiction and trying Argentine criminals abroad? Um, yes, um, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, there have been a lot of um, very important achievements in Argentina on, on, on the front of, of uh, obtaining justice on, on, on these questions, yes. Uh, sorry, my name is Heike Schaumberg. I'm at the University of Manchester, a PhD candidate. Um, I was uh, really asking two questions. Um, one of them has to do with one of the things that you were saying about uh, that in Argentina, according to the legal regime, everybody is judged, uh, treated equally in terms of perpetrators, authors, and so on and so forth. Um, now, I was wondering how that uh, works, because obviously there are difficulties with how that is then applied. Um, because, uh, as we know, for instance, social movement leaders often end up having all kinds of different courses uh, cases added against their own particular name, even if they were or were not responsible just because it happened um, in a certain incident. I'm thinking of, for instance, uh, the case of Pepino Fernandez from Salta, uh, who's got something like 97 um, civil and criminal cases against him, uh, which for which it's already been shown that he was not uh, responsible for. Uh, the other question is about, when you talked about difficulties with the current cases, um, in, in crimes against humanity is I'm surprised that you didn't mention and I was wondering whether you could shed some light on where this is about Julio Lopez who had disappeared in 2006 um, as I'm aware he's not been yet uh, found in terms of what happened to him thank you very much okay thank you for your questions that's two people but three questions how I suggest we begin with uh, with that Bueno, en primer lugar, buenas tardes, ahora nuevamente, ya en mi idioma. Eh, nuevamente agradecerles todos a todos ustedes por estar aquí. La verdad que, bueno, lo disfruté mucho, lo estoy disfrutando mucho. Y les agradezco mucho. Y les quiero agradecer nuevamente mucho por estar aquí. Son tres preguntas. La primera se vincula con la opinión sobre la actuación del juez Baltasar Garzón. Yo no voy a hablar de las personas, pero creo que a partir de, de su actuación se revalorizó el concepto de justicia universal. Entonces creo que eh, so este principio de juzga o entregas hace previsible hace previsible el castigo dentro de cada uno de los países. Eh, 
en Argentina fue fundamental precisamente porque a partir de un exhorto de detención de 30 militares se provocó la reapertura de las causas. El concepto de justicia universal es un concepto que todavía está reformulándose, es un concepto que está, con, está, está en elaboración, pero lo cierto es que hace previsible que en un país o en otro una persona pueda ser juzgada. La democracia se basa en la ley y nadie, ni funcionario, ni ningún habitante, ninguna persona puede estar por encima de la ley. Y en este sentido, este concepto de justicia universal nos muestra la la viabilidad de los sistemas democráticos ya que si los imputados son lo suficientemente fuertes para impedir su juzgamiento entonces la democracia es débil este concepto de justicia universal nos muestra exactamente esto. Entonces, va a ser fácil determinar dónde tenemos una democracia fuerte y dónde no la tenemos. La segunda pregunta se vincula con el trato a distinto. De lo que yo me estaba refiriendo es a que de acuerdo al Código Penal, en el artículo 45 del Código Penal argentino, se establece la misma pena para los autores, los coautores, los instigadores a lo, y los partícipes necesarios de eh, Esto es precisamente porque el código les establece y es una decisión legislativa eh, la misma la misma responsabilidad para todos ellos. De lo que estoy hablando es de los que dan las órdenes y, de, y los que la ejecutan. Históricamente hemos visto que, que se ha dividido, se ha clasificado, se ha separado aquellos que dan las órdenes de los que las ejecutan. Entonces, uno de los desafíos so one of the challenges de la, de, del sistema de justicia of the judicial system es resolver la problemática vinculada con the, la obediencia debida y aquellos que la dan que finalmente no ejecutan materialmente los delitos. Really, 
materialize the crimes. Y con respecto una, una reflexión más respecto One more reflection regarding que me parece que es importante that I think is really important. ya que los juicios en Argentina tienen unas características que, Trials in Argentina have a characteristic que creo que lo hacen únicos that make them unique. En, eh, en su especie ya que se trata de juicios hechos con los mismos This códigos, trials are, are away with, con los mismos leyes penales, es decir, no hay leyes ex post facto There are no new laws para hacer estos juicios, kind of se han usado los mismos jueces using the same judges que existían antes de estos hechos that before all these, um, y no, y no se han creado estructuras adicionales, we have not new estructuras estructuras ad hoc para juzgar estos delitos. To, to carry out these trials. Por eso, And that's why. tanto en mi charla como aquí, yo, yo hablé de nuestro código I, I penal, our, um, porque code. es el código penal para todos it's the same one for all, los hechos, all the en estos delitos In y en cualquier otro delito. Or any other ones. Entonces, eh, esto me parece que es importante remarcarlo porque esto es una de las características centrales really de estos Um, main characteristics of this kind of trials. Y si me permiten, les voy a agregar tres características más que, que completan lo inédito de esta experiencia. La primera Firstly, se vincula, que sería la tercera en realidad, se vincula con las mismas estructuras legales. The same legal structures. Es decir, no se crearon tribunales new courts para estos for juicios. These kind of trials. Entonces tenemos, primera so característica, firstly, las mismas leyes, same laws, los mismos jueces, same judges, las mismas estructuras, and the same structures. se juzgan todos los hechos, Every fact is, it comes to court. no se It's seleccionan hechos, not a of facts. y finalmente and finally, eh, no se diferencian, not a dif a se, se investigan a todos los participantes o todos los involucrados en el hecho tanto sea los que dieron las órdenes como los que las cumplieron Esta, estas, estos cinco requisitos nosotros, va a ser difícil que los podamos encontrar en algún antecedente histórico en delitos de esta naturaleza la tercera pregunta se vincula con, jo, con Julio López, un testigo que desapareció en el primer juicio oral por estos delitos. Con respecto, bueno, eh, obviamente hay un juez que está interviniendo, no vamos a hablar del caso criminal. Simplemente mencionar que like a partir de allí se estableció dentro del Ministerio de Justicia Justice, un sistema de protección de testigos eh, con las reglas que todos podemos llegar a conocer nuevo trabajo, nueva identidad, nuevo, new, new job, nuevo domicilio new new, new y que funciona muy bien de hecho, yo quise, yo tengo en, fact, en la causa ESMA varios, varios testigos de identidad reservada con y, y quise saber 
con and un I fin académico cuántas otras personas estaban dentro del sistema y no me lo dijeron and I was not told. lo cual quiere decir Which que el sistema funciona that the system really works. si no se lo dicen al propio juez esto marca algo que es interesante de mencionar que eh, después de Julio López, Julio López de este testigo que desapareció witness, esto no volvió a pasar this never ever again. esto quizá marque que so, este sistema que, so se, this means que that se está this llevando system, adelante es el adecuado it's eh, esto es importante de marcar this porque is este juicio, estos juicios, trials, estas problemáticas, son inéditas. Yo lo dije en la charla, son, fueron inéditas they, para todos. Entonces uno también, como juez o so, como profesor universitario, eh, va aprendiendo de cuando las cosas van ocurriendo. Entonces es interesante de marcar esta so necesidad it's, it's que tenemos también todos los operadores del sistema y por eso valoro tanto la invitación y precisamente porque permite eh, cumplir con el, uno de los valores que tiene el sistema judicial que es el valor didáctico la posibilidad de transmitir experiencias, compartir sensaciones y creo que de esta forma todos vamos a crecer más. Got three questions. There's one just coming up in the middle <coughs> there, and then we have one coming up at the front. Yes. Um, hello, my name is Federico. I'm a student here at the LSE. I, I'm doing a master's in human rights. Uh, my question regards the independence of the judicial system in Argentina. In, um, you mentioned that. Uh, one of the main characteristics of a democracy is that the judicial system is independent from the executive. And then you also mentioned that uh, the courts that are judging uh, the military right now are the same courts with the same judges that were then after the dictatorship. And I'm, I'm wondering where was the court, where was the judicial system, and where was the Supreme Court when the two laws Um, this means the due obedience law and the full stop law and the presidential pardons were granted. How, why weren't they not found unconstitutional then and why do we have to wait until 2003 to do that? Thank you. And a question just at the front here. I am Facundo at the European Institute. I'd first like to thank you for the hard work you're doing in Argentina. And um, my, my question is very short. As the perpetrators and the victims of these crimes are, are old and getting older every day, I would like to know if, if something has been done to speed up the process, even though the 
I, I know it's a lot of hard work, but well, that's my, my question. So, so justice can be found uh, before they die. Thank you very much. And there's a question. Uh, just Hi. The um, good evening, just Judge Torres. My name is Isabella Marino. I'm a, a, an LSE alumni from the Human Rights Program. I'm also very grateful for coming all this way to talk to us about the Argentinian experience. And my question relates to reconciliation in Argentina and the relationship between truth and reconciliation and how the judiciary, if, if in any way, it has contributed to the process of reconciliation and reconciling Argentinian society as a whole. Thank you. La primera pregunta se vincula con la independencia judicial y nosotros tuvimos, o mejor dicho, en estos procesos, process, históricamente, se ve una balanza balance en el que la justicia y la impunidad va subiendo y bajando. Según, los, según las distintas decisiones According que se van tomando. Eh, si ustedes recuerdan la charla, talk, este proceso comienza no en el 2003, sino en 1983, con la anulación de una ley de autoamnistía dictada por the amnesty, uh, el propio void. gobierno militar, que excluía de responsabilidad por government. todo lo Eventualmente for that a todos lo que eventualmente participated. Eh, ahí comenzó un proceso process then, de legitimación, legitimación democrática en el que, se, que llegó a la culminación con el juicio que se hace, que yo conté hoy, el de las otro montón de causas abiertas. A lot of other new cases that have been open. Pero este proceso de justicia quedó trunco con dos institutos. Institutions. Las leyes de amnistía y los indultos. Ahí la balanza se volvió otra vez a inclinar. Ahora para el otro lado. Yo les voy a contar, y quizá con esto responda a su pregunta, una experiencia personal. Yo hace unos cuantos años, estando vigentes todavía la ley de amnistía, Will still valid. di una conferencia en la Universidad de Salamanca. I gave a conference in the University of Salamanca. Uh, y después de la, de la conferencia, en el momento de las preguntas, in the había, había alumnos como There were students, ustedes, just like you here. Y, y un alumno me preguntó me, qué sentía yo de pertenecer a un poder judicial mientras había determinadas y aquí utilizó un adjetivo que voy a obviar que había determinadas personas que caminaban libremente por la calle y 
Yo le dije him, que yo formaba parte de un poder judicial cuando las leyes lo habían permitido it, los habían juzgado y habían dictado una sentencia. En unos casos fue condenatoria in, in cases, y en otros fue absolutoria. Cases, y terminé con una frase de un and profesor italiano Francesco Carrara, Francesco Carrara del siglo XIX from the 19th century, que dijo that said, cuando la política entra, entra a tribunales por la puerta to the court the door, la justicia sale por la ventana the y esto fue lo que ocurrió And that's what happened. la segunda pregunta se vincula con el tiempo que pasó desde this, estos hechos este es un dato objetivo this is an objective fact. en realidad si uno entiende este proceso If you understand how this process works, eh, tiene cierta lógica it, el haber que haya pasado 30 años para poder lo cierto es que los juicios están llevando adelante muchísima gente ha declarado Lots of people have declared. se han tomado declar válidas declaraciones We have taken valid declarations tomadas en otros países in other countries durante la época militar during the military, um, o incluso time, las during, tomadas en otros países or even the ones taken in other mientras countries estuvieron vigentes las leyes de amnistía. Eh, obviamente una justicia lenta no es justicia pero bueno la verdad the truth is, la verdad eh, la verdad nunca llega tarde truth is never late. la verdad truth is never siempre late. es oportuna truth is always good. y la tercera pregunta tiene que ver con la reconciliación uno podría pensar que las leyes de admitía dieron una oportunidad para la reconciliación. Pero However, a mí me gustaría pensar like that, que, es más, estoy convencido, I'm, I'm, I'm que no hay reconciliación sin that justicia. No justice. Eh, pero por otro lado, la reconciliación no está en manos de la justicia. No está en manos de los jueces. Está en manos de la sociedad. Ahora quizá sea más fácil hacer justicia que reconciliarnos. Yeah. Hi, Cecilia Sosa from Queen Mary University of London. I'm originally from Argentina. And uh, I have the opportunity to attend many of the sessions of ESMA case while I was in Argentina. And, and, and I, um, I was surprised to see a sort of contradiction or a paradox there. Because on the one hand, the testimonies and the richness of the people who was testifying there and that was there were different people people activists and and the, the kind of testimonies that that were presented were really really compelling 
And uh, on, on the other hand, I have the feeling that the, the publicity of the trials was not so high as it should be uh, regarding the historical moment that we were living in Argentina in terms of the opening of, the, of these cases. And I would like to know in, in your uh, belief why this uh, is, is happening. And, and I was, the, the fact that many of the organizations, civil organizations have become to be prosecutors uh, in, in the trials. And for instance, EHOS organizations, which are the children of the disappear, are also um, challenging people to come and draw the sessions and uh, because they are not public enough. Uh, they, they cannot, you cannot just record the sessions, you cannot, uh, they are not on TV. So there is a kind of feeling of that the, all this process has, is taking place in a sort of isolation. And uh, um, I don't know which, is your could be your impression impression regarding this fact? Let's we take the question just behind, uh, <coughs> and then that one. Thank. My name is Karina Fernandez. I lawyer. I human rights lawyer. I represent the victim, the Chilean victim in the Operation Condor. Me question. You decided divided divided the accusation in ESMA uh, for years. Uh, your decision, the DVD, the DVD accusation for years, how uh, benefits, how uh, how damage the the currently oral use the ESMA process? Okay, and the final question, just from the very front. Okay. Thank you. My my name is Lebut. I'm in the Masters of Law pro uh, program. Uh, my question is as regards um, the judiciary. I'd just like to get a clarification from uh, Judge Torres, whether there was a change in the judicial regime uh, in the 1980s, that is, um, after the democratic government came to power, was there a purge in the judiciary, or did the same judiciary continue with the laws that were there and, um, and carry out uh, the judicial proceedings? And if the judiciary was not changed, what was the rationale in that? What gave the people the confidence that the judiciary of the 1970s will still work uh, in the 1980s and provide justice uh, for these persons. Thank you. The final question has to do with the publicity of the trial. I'm in, in a previous stage of the trial. I'm a federal judge. Con lo cual voy a hablar casi académicamente porque no, no, es un, no es un ámbito en el que yo eh, participe. Really Obviamente el proceso de publicidad, the, the of según mi opinión personal, personal opinion, de los actos de los jueces debe ser absoluto. Of the, um, acts of yo festejo cuando I la Corte Suprema Court ha creado hace dos años ago, un portal website, eh, de información judicial of, of para, de acceso irrestricto en el cual si ustedes entran van if, a encontrar website, permanentemente información sobre juicios panel, eh, de lesa humanidad o cualquier crimes, otro eh, de los que ocurren en, en el país. Esto es inédito porque This rompe con una tradición histórica de que los jueces hablan a través de sentencias. Es decir, 
como las sentencias son escritas, As sentences are written, los jueces no hablan. Judges do not really speak. Yo estoy aquí. I'm here today. Y estoy hablando. And I'm speaking. Quiere decir que algo cambió. Which means that something has changed. Eh, obviamente, esto no es absoluto. Obviamente, esto no es una verdad absoluta. A pesar que el código establece que los, que los juicios orales deben ser públicos y de acceso lo cierto es que esto no ocurre This not eh, siempre en cuanto a la masividad de la información. No, the, the ya que si bien los juicios orales son públicos, pueden entrar como la mayoría no son transmitidos. En, en, por televisión no hay posibilidad de, de que llegue a un número indeterminado de personas quizá esa sea una tarea pendiente seguramente lo es forma parte de un cambio cultural eh, de un cambio cultural de todo el sistema judicial que fue creado en una época in a time, y a partir de determinadas cuestiones que voy a referir a continuación ha ido cambiando eh, y la tercera porque la tercera se vincula con <coughs> el poder judicial desde el 1983 en adelante cuando en el 1976, well, in 1976 yo tenía 11 años I was 11 years old. Eh, y yo soy juez desde el año 94 y desde el 2001 estoy en la actual posición de juez federal as a federal judge. Eh, nombrado por el consejo de la magistratura by the council, the magistrature council. Este es un instituto creado por la reforma constitucional reform por la que para acceder al cargo cualquier cargo de juez en any, cualquier lugar del país judge, country, hay que dar un examen you have to do an exam, hay que presentar los antecedentes you have to show your, um, your, your y competir and to con cualquier persona que sea en el cargo de juez federal, en el cargo mío, my own job as a federal judge, 99 concursantes nos anotamos y competimos. And we Tiene audiencias orales, the públicas, oral audiences, public audiences. y se publican los periódicos, incluso and los nombres de los concursantes para que cualquier persona si tiene algo que decir lo diga esto ha generado por supuesto un cambio has generated mm. a big change. Eh, esto si, si me permiten la palabra, esto eh, generó un nombramiento horizontal, has, has more horizontality. ya que no se puede nombrar a cualquier Because persona, you just name anyone, sino que tiene que ser alguien con conocimientos with with y con knowledge. antecedentes profesionales y académicos suficientes. Obviamente, como en todos lados, Same as everywhere else, obviously. Hay de todo. There's a bit of everything. 
Esto es así. This is the way it is. En la universidad. A university. En el poder judicial. In the judicial system. En el Congreso. In, in the legislative power. Y en cualquier ámbito. Hasta, and, hasta en un club de fútbol. Even in a, a, a football club. <laughs> y, y está bien. And it's okay that it está is bien this que way. Sea así. Tiene que haber de todo. There has to be a bit of everything everywhere. Para ello están los controles. That's why there are controls. Los controles. Eh, legales Legal para eventualmente sancionar o destituir a los jueces que no cumplan su trabajo. Okay, uh, we have about 15 minutes and can I suggest we take say three more questions and see how we do in terms of time because there's a person just there at the back. Is anybody else? Gracias por estar aquí, señor Torres. Um, I was interested in your concept of universal justice because I believe that's probably the best guarantee, if there can be any guarantee, that crimes against humanity will not happen again if there is a good chance that in fact there is no hiding place. But what I can see in reality is that for political reasons, often that principle that somebody who is a grave or a grave violator of human rights cannot be, cannot escape justice, that principle sometimes for political reasons is uh, not applied. And I want to mention briefly three examples. One is, one took place in this country when Pinochet was arrested and there was an opportunity for him to be brought to justice. And we saw Margaret Thatcher going and having tea with her, or with him rather, uh, and we saw him being sent back to Chile. And I believe clearly the services that he provided to the UK, Pinochet, during the Falkland War was a factor in letting him go and get away with it. Another example in which the principle of universal justice doesn't get applied, for example, is with regards to talk that there was in this country by the government uh, several months ago to the effect that the law was going to be changed because uh, members of the Israeli government were at risk of being prosecuted for the crimes that, that they go on committing in Palestine with increasing frequency. And they were thinking about changing the law in the UK so that those people traveling here wouldn't be at risk of prosecution. And finally, when you mentioned that it's easier to convict somebody who has killed one person rather than somebody who has killed 100,000 people. I was just thinking about Tony Blair and the International Criminal Court. Okay, thank you for that uh, compounded question. Uh, we have a question just there at the front. Good evening. Um, I would like to know from international perspective, uh, 
What, what would be the, the impact on brave judges like you uh, of the suspension of Judge Baltasar Garzón in Spain uh, following uh, a complaint instigated by a far-right movement and judged in turn by a judge linked to the far-right? Thank you. Hello, I'm Claire Moon from the Centre for the Study of Human Rights and the um, Department of Sociology here at the LSE. And I think in some ways we live in the age of truth and reconciliation. Um, and we have a faith in the idea that the past can be settled, um, that we can put pay to the horrors of the past, so that the past can stop disturbing the present. And in many ways Argentina was really at the vanguard of this age. And um, it's interesting that Argentina's really been trying now for 25 years to settle this past. And I'm interested in um, what you think about why it refuses to go away um, and, and um, the ways in which Argentina is actually challenging this faith that we have now that the past can actually be settled. It keeps coming up, it keeps returning. Thank you. Uh, La primera pregunta, bueno, se vincula con el concepto de justicia universal. The first question regarding universal, the principle of universal justice. Creo que es un concepto que, como dije hoy, está en elaboración. I believe it's a concept that is still being developed. Creo que junto con los tribunales internacionales. I think that alongside universal international courts son la una muestra it's, it's a proof del fracaso of the failure de las justicias nacionales of, of national justices o de los sistemas supranacionales or supranational systems que no pueden evitar que estos delitos sigan ocurriendo from this they cannot avoid prevent these crimes from continuing happening eh, es más el concepto de justicia este concepto de justicia Juzgas o entregas. This, this concept. Hoy, do, hoy día incluso está en reelaboración. Even today it's being redeveloped. Ya que se está discutiendo. Because we're still arguing. Si ese juzga. Whether judge. Es simplemente un juicio abierto. It's simply an open trial. O el juzga está hablando de una sentencia. Or are we talking about a sentence? Es decir, dicta una sentencia. That is to say. O entrega para que otro lo haga. To either dictate a sentence or to um, allow other people to do so. Pero en cualquier caso estamos hablando de fracasos. But in any case, we're still talking about failures. No somos capaces como sociedades as societies evitar que esto to avoid siga this from continuing happening una y otra once vez. and again. Eh, y yo no estaba pensando en Tony Blair. And I wasn't thinking about Tony Blair. Yo estaba pensando en los centenares hundreds de casos of cases yo hablé nada más que del siglo XX, and I only talked about the 20th century en el que esto in which this en dimensiones horroríficas como ocurre um, dimensions ocurre con eh, los distintos genocidios as que it happens with the different genocides that I previously mentioned la inmensa cantidad de casos que ocurrieron and the huge amount of cases that happened y que no tuvieron justicia and that injustice was never found Y, y creo que esto es la respuesta I think this is the answer to eh, a la tercera pregunta porque well. 
eh, creo que y quizá sea aventurado de mi parte hacerlo pero creo que uno de los motivos por los cuales One esto sigue ocurriendo es porque no hay justicia no esto hace decenas de años que está ocurriendo this, this has y ustedes no van a encontrar antecedentes de justicia absoluta of absolute justice. solo pequeños remedios pequeñas eh, pequeñas intenciones que rápidamente quedan en el olvido porque nuevamente once again, cuando la política entra a tribunales por la puerta goes to court through the door, la justicia sale por la ventana y la tercera pregunta se And vincula con la perspectiva internacional y vinculado con el caso nuevamente Garzón. Hay una, en este momento, las víctimas han presentado en Argentina una querella por una querella criminal por los hechos ocurridos en España desde 1936 hasta el 75. Eh, esto marca un fortalecimiento desde otro lado, desde, desde otra posición de este concepto de justicia universal porque el fundamento jurídico de la presentación es el de justicia universal yo soy un hombre de derecho yo Creo firmemente en estos principios que, que alguna vez me llevaron a estudiar derecho. Y creo que la justicia es como la vida. Siempre, siempre se abre camino. And I think we only have time for one other question, which is back. Hello? Okay. Do I? Can I start? Okay, Please. thank you. <laughs> Senor Torres. The mic is yours. Thank you for being here. Um, my question has not much to do with human rights, unfortunately. But uh, as you said, you are a man of the law, and I am personally very curious to know about your opinion about the future of the Falklands. Uh, they've been talking about it in the UK, MPs claiming that the UK can still protect the Falklands while reducing its budget for the military. And I just want to know how you see the future um, from a, the eyes of a man of the law. Okay, um, maybe uh, I think uh, uh, Judge Torres can decide whether he wishes to answer that, but it sort of brings us outside of the scope of, uh, uh, of this particular issue. Uh, there was a question just there. Hi, um, my name is Thomas Oral, and I'm a bar student at BPP Law School, just around the corner. Um, my question is related to... I think it was section 75, subsection 22 of the Argentine Constitution, 
um, which you say incorporates the provisions of international treaties into Argentine law. And for me, that's quite a novel <laughs> thing to hear. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to hear more about how that actually functions. Very briefly, I know we're running out of time, but I'm interested to know what that actually means. Does that mean that international prov provisions of international treaties are incorporated directly into Argentine law? Um, or whether or not they're merely influential in Argentine law and which treaties exactly we're referring to here. Are we talking about the, the uh, human rights mechanisms or are we talking about um, secondary international law? Thank you. Regarding the first question, I said I was a man of law. I believe in the law. And law is peace. The law is not a war. It's no um, death or blood. Death has accompanied us since the very beginning. Si ustedes se fijan, en algún momento hubo cuatro personas en el mundo. In, in a moment there were only four people in the world. Adán, Eva, Caín y Abel. Cain and Abel. Y Caín mató a Abel. And Cain killed Abel. Había cuatro personas. There were only four people. Y ya tenemos un homicidio. And there's already one homicide. <laughs> eh, quizá la violencia esté dentro nuestro. Maybe violence is within us. Eh, y yo creo and I believe that yo creo en la paz. I, I believe in peace yo creo que todos tenemos derechos a, I think we all have a vivir en paz y creo right que el tema Malvinas y cualquier otro tema the, the, um, issue issue no puede resolverse be con muerte o guerra y con respecto a la segunda pregunta se vincula con la reforma constitucional. Nosotros tenemos un bloque constitucional de derechos humanos. Es decir, en la constitución se le establece estatus constitucional a una cantidad de tratados de derechos humanos que Argentina había firmado. Esto establece un orden interno legal supranacional. Los jueces estamos obligados, el Estado está obligado a cumplir con estos tratados. Los tratados forman parte del derecho interno. Obviamente hay determinadas... Eh, determinados institutos que deben ser obviamente eh, refrendados o operativizados esa es la palabra técnica por una ley esto es lo que ocurre por ejemplo con el concepto de genocidio nosotros lo te tenemos ratificado la convención pero no forma parte del derecho interno porque se necesita una ley que lo incorpore al Código Penal y le establezca una pena. Pero igualmente, eh, 
todos estos procesos All these processes pueden ser posibles precisamente porque hay un, eh, un sistema supranacional de garantías de garantías eh, eh, para todos para todos los ciudadanos for, for all, of for all the simplemente recuerden el Just artículo segundo de la convención, the of the convención de derechos humanos of human y verán que esta convención prohíbe a This los estados de solucionar estos delitos mediante amnistías. Uh, Con lo cual, si en Argentina quisiera dictarse una amnistía, solo se podría usar, hacer violando la Constitución. Sería naturalmente inconstitucional. Y por lo, tam, por lo tanto sería absolutamente nula. And would be void. Por otro lado, esto hand, en cuanto al Poder Judicial, en cuanto al Poder Ejecutivo, eh, power, la, la Comisión Interamericana de Derechos Humanos the inter, the uh, dicta determinadas resoluciones que son obligatorias para el Estado y state. el Estado las tiene que cumplir y las, y las cumple y de hecho, por ejemplo, el caso Barrios Altos, es un caso muy conocido, nosotros lo utilizamos, y ustedes los van a encontrar si se fijan en las sentencias, van a encontrar citado ese fallo, otros fallos de organismos y los fundamentos últimos de todas estas sentencias, de estas resoluciones que se dictan, están basadas en esta, en esta normativa supranacional que tiene raigambre constitucional. Okay, um, I think we've run out of time for today, and I think we've had a full exploration and discussion. I think we almost managed to resolve Falklands issue using Cain and Abel. Um, so I would like to thank uh, Judge Sergio Torres for coming to speak to us this evening from afar and being so generous uh, both uh, in terms of his, the wealth of his experience but also generous in spirit. So thank you very much indeed. And I'd um, also like to thank uh, a few other people. I'd like to thank Veronica Munoz for her excellent translation work in real time. I very much recognize the, the challenges of, of precisely that. Um, I'd like to thank Zoe Gillard from the Center for the Study of Human Rights uh, and Carolina Perez Coleman and the staff at the Argentine Embassy for helping organize this event. Uh, and I'd also very much like to thank the stewards and all of you for your thoughtful and helpful contributions. Thank you very much. And just before you leave, can I just quickly remind you about two events organized by the Centre. Um, you will have seen a flyer or one will be handed to you advertising uh, Cambodia Reflections of the Khmer Rouge exhibition and event series. The exhibition is now open and the event series launches on Monday 8th of November with a film screening. <coughs> Uh, and there's a number of other events and film screenings as part of this series. It's a very important series that's supported by a number of different organizations, including Human Rights Watch and Global Witness. And can I also remind you about um, our UN International Human Rights Day event, a lecture by Thomas Hammerberg, uh, who's the Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights. 
this event will take place um, on Thursday, 9th of December at 6.30 p.m. here. And no ticket is required. And I would very much hope that you can join us for those events. But thank you very much for coming.